Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Kevin McKeon. So it's safe to say that I'm a complete mess. To which the doctor looked at me and he responded, Yes, you are. <laughs> that and more. But first, if you're anywhere near L.A., do not miss the next Risk Live show at the Hotel Cafe at 7 p.m. on May 15th. The last story on this episode that you're about to hear is the perfect example of how truly remarkable the stories at our L.A. show have been lately. And there's a killer cast for this one. Adam Newman is returning. Jonathan Tipton Myers, Elisa Marcus, Jill Chrissy, and the wonderful Jonathan Bradley Welch is guest hosting. We love Jonathan so much. So listen, you got to get there. It is May 15th, 7 p.m., the Hotel Cafe. Tickets are at risk-show.com slash live. We'll be right back. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Now here's the show.
kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is a Cerrone remix of Amadou and Miriam behind me now. And speaking of music, we are currently seeking stories about music. These could be stories by musicians about making music, or stories by music lovers uh, about particular songs or, you know, groups. Or maybe you're not even all that much of a music nerd, but there's one incident that always brings to mind a particular genre of music. Whatever it is, these stories could be just a couple minutes long or closer to the 15-minute ballpark. Just put music story in your subject line and pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions. Now, we're calling this week's episode Clarifying How We All So Want To (laughs) See Through Our Own Bullshit To Have Clearer Insight Into Why The Hell We Do What We Do (laughs) And To Understand More Clearly What Others you know, what needs or wants they really have, you know, from how it can be hard to tell from what they're saying or doing, and learning how to communicate to them more clearly from a more honest and unaffected place. (laughs) It's a lot. So in a little bit, we're going to hear from Kevin McKeon, a beautifully honest story that he told at a Risk Live show in LA last year. I should warn you, Kevin talks about self-harm in that story. But before that, Tori Weston returns to the podcast, this time with an illuminating story about her siblings. But before those two, we're going to hear one from Ryan Estrada who writes comics of all sorts, graphic novel-style versions of his adventures around the world at ryanestrada.com, and this one puts him in the Ten Timers Club. Ryan's tenth time being featured on the show. Now, do we actually have a Ten Timers Club? Do we have an Any Timers Club? Not at all. But Ryan announced on Twitter that he was just about to join (laughs) the Risk 10 Timers Club. So in this instance, who are we to argue? So here is Ryan now with a story we call Away With Words. Where away is one word. See, it's it's kind of like meta because it's... I'll I'll leave you be. There was a lot I wanted to say to my father-in-law before he died, and I didn't have much time left to do it. He'd been in hospice for a while. He he was blind, his feet had been amputated, and the doctors were telling us it was time to start saying our goodbyes. But since he only spoke Korean and I only spoke English, it was hard to say what I wanted to. You see, my wife Hyunsuk and I had written a book about her experiences growing up under a dictatorship. We interviewed all of her old friends and classmates, teachers, fellow activists, and of course, we interviewed her father, 
Kim Dong-hae. And he was glad to do it. He was so happy to help, trying to remember everything he could about the historical era and the politics and what led to it and how they fought against it. But I was just like, oh, yeah, 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 that's all great. Tell me more about your failed steak restaurant. You see, he'd chased a dream and lost everything. And that was the backdrop for Hyunsuk's entire life. And it was part of her story, but it wasn't a part of his life that he was proud of. And he couldn't comprehend why I wanted to know about any of it, let alone make a comic book about it. But now the book was finished. It was already starting to spread around in America, getting awards and accolades all over the world. And many of the reviews specifically called out how much they loved Hyunsuk's father and his story. But no copy had made it to Korea before he was rushed to the hospital. And I was worried that now I would never get the chance to share it with him. And that he might think that all this time I'd been making fun of him. So in that moment in the hospital, I knew I had to explain why I, I wanted to tell him that his story was inspiring, that he modeled for his family what it means to fight for what they want out of life, how to accept failure and keep moving forward, that he instilled in his daughter the values that helped her fight back against fascism and helped turn Korea into a free country, and that in doing so, he inspired me, and that readers around the world were already talking about how much the story of his family touched them. But he was tired, and I didn't know how to say all that in Korean. But I did have Google Voice Translate. So I opened up the app, and I simply said, Thank you for the way you raised your daughter. Hyunsuk's life has touched so many people in so many places. And I turned the phone around and let Google transcribe what I said and repeat it in Korean for me. And... As that robotic voice went, his face turned sour and confused, like even more weirded out than when I was asking about a steak restaurant. And I'm like, that? That's not really the reaction I was hoping for. I thought it was a little sweet, but you know, all right, I'm not going to complain. I had no idea why he was acting this way until I looked down at my phone and saw what Google had actually said. You see, voice to text is not perfect especially when it comes to international names, it turns out, because Google Translate did not recognize the phrase Hyunsuk's life. So what it actually told my father-in-law was, thank you for your daughter. Our sex life involves touching so many people in so many places. Oh no. I'd accidentally made my last words to a man I loved. Hey, sorry you're gonna die, but while you're gone, your daughter and I are gonna be having so many orgies. Thank God my wife got back to the room just moments later and was able to explain to him what stupid thing her husband had done. And he laughed hysterically. It was the last good hard laugh of his life. And that was actually a pretty good way to say goodbye. Thank you for the way you raised your daughter. Hyunsuk's life has touched so many people in so many places. 당신의 딸을 주셔서 감사합니다. 
우리의 성생활에는 많은 장소에서 많은 사람들을 만지는 것이 포함됩니다. Thank you are of yours daughter our sex alive involves touch then prolific people on then prolific places. 당신의 딸 덕분에 우리의 섹스 라이브는 다작의 사람들과 다작의 장소를 만지는 것을 포함합니다. Thank you MMM that for yours daughter our sucks alive involves touching then prolific people in them prolific places. 우리의 우라가 살아있는 곳에서 다작의 사람들을 만지는 것과 관련되어 있다는 당신의 딸에게 감사합니다. Thank your daughter that our tantrums involve touching prolific people in a living place. 빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈빈
could hear our principal yelling at a student as if she was in our class yelling at the student. Sometimes it would just be boys who would play pranks or would, you know, flood the bathroom sinks. And other days we could hear the principal's secretary listen to the radio and sing along to the radio. All of our teachers were white. Principal was white, principal secretary was white. So my sister's teacher, uh, who's this tall white woman with long brown hair, walks into my classroom and speaks to my teacher, Mrs. Raftis, who was a medium height white woman, you know, with a bob, black bob hair. And she says, one of my students is in the principal's office and I was told that her sister is in your class and their grandmother's gonna come and pick them up. So my teacher's like, okay. And then she says the name. She's like, her name is Tori. And my sister's teacher's looking directly at one of my classmates, who is this girl, who white girl who has like bushy, curly brown hair. And she's like, you know, Tori. And she's looking directly at her. And then my teacher, Mrs. Raftis, turns and looks at me and is like, Tori, um, gather up your stuff. Uh, your sister's sick um, and your grandmother's coming to pick you up. And out loud, my sister's teacher says, that can't be Tori. And my classmates and I are like looking at this other teacher, like, what do you mean? Now it's, you know, the 80s. Tori is not a very popular name. I am the only Tori in the school. So I go get my stuff. And, you know, Mrs. Raftis, like, you know, walks me to the principal's office. And I walk into the principal's office. I see my sister. Her nicely braided ponytail is now, you know, coming out of the elastic. Her face is flushed. Her nose is really red. She's crying and she's using her sweater as a tissue. So I go sit next to her. I put my arm around her and then she whispers in my ear, I threw up on my desk. (laughs) And so I am like, you know, trying to comfort her. But my eyes are drawn to the teachers in the hallway and they're talking above a whisper. And all of a sudden, I hear the words, the other girl's father is white. And as soon as those words come out of her mouth, the front door opens and my grandmother sort of glides up the stairs. Now, my grandmother was very beautiful woman, voluptuous woman. You know, she had like cinnamon brown skin. You know, her hair was always like curled to the nines. And she looks at these two teachers and she says, they are sisters regardless. Don't ever tell my grandchildren that they're not sisters. And my grandmother walks towards the principal's office. She motions us to come towards her. We gather our things and we walk out of the school. And it's not until we get into the car that I realize how upset my grandmother is. And she tells us, no matter what someone tells you two, you two are sisters. And it is the first time I realized what the teachers saw. I'm holding my sister's hand and I see the difference. I see my dark brown skin hand holding her sun-kissed tan hand. And I look at my sister's face And I see that we look very different. And it's the first time I see what they saw. Years later, 
my sister and I don't live in Rhode Island anymore. But every now and then we come home, you know, and visit friends and family. And to this day, people still are like, Della is your sister? And I'm like, yes, Della is my sister. reason I am even remotely comfortable telling this story is that I am operating on the strong belief that I am not the only one in this room who has something about themselves that they do not like. And it may bring them shame, but you hide it from the rest of the world. And it becomes your secret. And secrets have a way of making us feel alone. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say feeling alone sucks. So all that to say, in August of 2021, I was sitting in a group therapy circle in a mental health wellness facility, and I was about to answer the question, why are you here? There were seven patients uh, in total, and all of us were there for one specific reason. It was called an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program. And this particular facility specialized in anxiety, depression, emotional trauma, PTSD, and because one or all of those things usually lead to this, addiction. So... I was on my fifth day and I'd grown a little comfortable in the room and I started opening up a little bit more and everyone in the room made me feel welcome. Uh, but there was one person in particular that really stood out and her name is Teresa. So Teresa and I bonded really quickly and she became my first friend in the group. So on this particular day when I am asked the question, why are you here? For me to answer that question honestly, that meant I was gonna have to share one of my secrets probably my biggest secret. And I did not want to share this at all. But I really wanted to get better. And for me to get better, then I was gonna have to start opening up and owning things, and I was gonna have to honestly face some fears. Seven months earlier, at 5 a.m. on November 8th, 2020, I was sitting on my couch. Or to put it another way with a timestamp that has nothing to do with this story, 
17 hours after Rudy Giuliani gave his ill-fated and hilarious Four Seasons Total Landscaping press conference, I was sitting on my couch. And I was not having a good morning. We were eight months into COVID quarantine, and I was not, by any stretch of the imagination, thriving. I had a tight grip on a very thin thread, and I had absolutely no hope that things would get better. And as I sat on that couch, I had something I had never experienced before, which I am going to generously call a full mental breakdown. Asleep in the other room, unaware that any of this was happening, was my then-girlfriend Jade. Jade is great. In a nutshell, Jade is smarter than me, she is more emotionally mature than me, and she is physically stronger than me. But I am taller than her, so there was always a nice balance in our relationship. Jade is also a neuroscientist who specializes in how emotions directly affect the brain. And I found out that when you date a neuroscientist, you are always under some low-key observation at all times. For example, she confessed to me after we had been dating for a while that when we first met and we were courting each other, the thing that made her finally decide that she wanted to date me was that after observing me in my environment and watching me with all of my longtime friends, she deemed me, and I quote, eh, healthy enough. And with retrospect, I think she was being rather generous with me because at that point, I don't think I was healthy enough. I was more of a healthy maybe. But at the time, I was in complete denial and I thought I was killing it mental health-wise because I was doing everything that a human being should do to be healthy mentally. I was doing one, denial, two, emotional suppression, three, end of list. But as I came to find out, emotions are like farts. In that, you can suppress them all you want, but eventually they're gonna find their way out. Because at 5 a.m. on November 8th, 2020, as I sat on that couch, everything I had ever suppressed came flatulating out of me. And what I'm about to share with you has some vulnerability to it. But my secret, the thing that I didn't like about myself that I did not share with anyone else, is that I self-harm. And I had self-harmed for a long time. For many years, if I ever got to a point where I couldn't regulate my emotions and I just got so angry and I was so furious at myself and I, I would start to just hit myself. It started in the stomach, then it went to a slap on the face, so it eventually went to full fist. And the thing about it was, I would be out of control anytime it happened, but I was always by myself and no one would ever know this happened because I was so ashamed of it and I didn't know what it was. And it's not like I'm going to tell anyone this. So I felt very alone a lot. The thing was, this sounds braggy, but my brain, according to my brain, is amazing. And I thought that I was able to just tell myself, don't ever do that again and it would never happen again. And then months would pass, and I would think, you're doing it, Kev. And then it would come back, and I would have to start over. But what was different about this time on November 8th, 2020, was that something snapped a little bit harder than it ever had snapped, and I intended myself harm. And as opposed to any of the other things I described, I went at myself with knuckles, and I hit myself three times hard, 
and the third one knocked me onto the ground, and the second I hit the ground, I immediately snapped out of it, and I was hit with shame and remorse, as I always did. I hated this part of me, and I didn't know what was happening to me. I felt broken. I felt beyond repair. I felt alone, because no one could understand it. I mean, I didn't understand it. I didn't know why I was doing this. But that morning, I scared myself, and I started having really dark thoughts that I thought, if I keep going this route, things are going to end badly. But I don't want to be remembered for them ending this type of badly. So I decided that I needed to actually take steps to work on this. Because I had something at my disposal that I never had before, which was a neuroscientist girlfriend who really cared about me and has a way of speaking to me that doesn't make me feel defective or broken. So about an hour later, Jade gets up and she goes into the kitchen to get a cup of coffee. And I'll never forget this moment. I stood in the threshold of the kitchen and without preamble, I just said, I am in so much pain and I need help. And without saying a word, she put her coffee down and she came over to me and she hugged me. And I started to openly weep like a man does. And I asked her for help and she said she would help me and she would use her expertise and her knowledge to put me on a path to help me to feel better. And as I wept openly in her arms, I said, thank you. The next morning I woke up and my first thought was, I'm fine. What a bad day I had yesterday. I should probably block that out of my head. But Jade reminded me that I had admitted it and there was no going back. And she said that my first course of action in the program she'd come up with for me was that as opposed to just hoping to figure out what was going on, we decided to work the problem from the inside out, to actually see what was going on with my brain, to see if there was something in there that was just not working right. So where some, when they turn 50, will get a sports car or hair plugs, I got a SPECT brain scan, a single photon emission computed tomography brain scan. And the thing about this brain scan that's different than others is that it monitors blood flow and activity, and they can tell from exact pictures what areas of the brain are working correctly, what areas are working too much, and which ones are not working enough. So after I have all of my pictures done, I uh, am in this MRI type uh, area, and if you've ever been in an MRI type situation, it's the most lonely place you can be. After I get my results back, I am meeting with the uh, neurologist psychiatrist who's going to go over my results with me. And he shows my pictures and he goes, from what he can see on here, he diagnoses me with anxiety, depression, ADHD, which explained a lot of things in my life. Because what was happening is that on my basal ganglia, the blood flow was too much, so therefore it was overactive, and any time I tried to not be anxious, it would just make me more anxious. There was also my thalamus, which was also overactive, which was causing the depression. He also found that I had low amounts of certain neurotransmitters, including dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. And side note, anytime I see the word norepinephrine on the page, I cannot help but read it in my head as the writer-director of Sleepless in Seattle, Nora Ephron. And then the doctor diagnosed me with uh, CPTSD. And I said, what is that? And he said, it's complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And 
when he said CPTSD, it sounded odd to me. And I said, is that a thing? Because to me, when I hear that, it sounds like you're saying to me junior varsity football in that it's football, but is it really? <laughs> but the doctor stressed to me that trauma's trauma. It's not a competition to see who has it more or who can withstand the most. Your brain is being affected by it, so it is your responsibility once you know it. If you want to get rid of it, you got to deal with it. And he goes, you know why you hit yourself, right? And I said, no, I don't. And he goes, what's happening? It's a trauma response. That as you become so overwhelmed, your brain gets hijacked and your amygdala is seized and you fall into fight or flight and you start to get off and your nervous system is off, uh, off kilter. And then because he and I were the same age, he made this reference. Uh, he goes, it's like Fonzie hitting the jukebox. That it doesn't work and then once he hits it, it now works. So your body is off and it's not working. So the hit puts it right back into regular function. And as he was saying all this stuff to me, I was just completely overwhelmed with as many things that I was hearing. And out of frustration, I just said, so it's safe to say that I'm a complete mess. To which the doctor looked at me and he responded, yes, you are. <laughs> but if you follow certain protocols, and you change certain lifestyle habits, and you actually do the work to address the issues that are underneath that cause these things to happen, then you are a fixable mess. And those two words gave me something that I had not experienced in a very long time, and that was hope. Because as he said that, and as I walked out of there and knew what my situation was, and now that I could actually see in pictures what my depression was and where my anxiety was, I now had an enemy that I could defeat. And that brings us back to the group therapy circle in the mental health wellness facility as I've just been asked the question, what brought you here? And I didn't want to say it, but I had to. So... I started to tell the group parts of the story I just told you. And at first, it's clunky, it's awkward, I'm tripping over my words because I don't know what to do because I can see all these people right in front of me and I don't know what their reaction is going to be and I don't want it to be unfavorable because I'm very embarrassed of this thing that I'm saying. And as I keep going, I start to get more comfortable because I start to see everyone in the room with empathy in their eyes. And as I start to get through it, it becomes this absolutely amazing experience as I'm finally purging myself of this secret, this thing that has weighed me down for so long. It was such a beautiful moment in this room. It was like a scene from a movie that was written and directed by Academy Award nominated filmmaker Nora Epinephrine. <laughs> And as it hit its crescendo, I felt so good that I had finally done this. And then Teresa raised her hand. And she starts to say that she was so impressed that I had the courage to say that, that it gave her the courage to say it too. That on many occasions, she had also hit herself in the same way and she was not sure of what it was but she had never told anyone, a therapist, family members, anyone. We in that room were the first ones that had ever heard it before. 
And all the attention that I had goes to her. And everyone is now giving her so much empathy. And I am not proud of how I reacted to this. But as the guy who loves to perform and the only child who needs all the attention, as it all went to her, I actually thought to myself, God damn it, are you fucking kidding me right now? It was like she announced she was pregnant at my baby shower. <laughs> but once that faded, I did have the real reaction of that I was proud of her because I know how hard that was to admit. The group goes on break, and then as I'm walking through the hallway, I hear Teresa behind me. She goes, hey. And I turn around, and she goes, I didn't mean to steal your spotlight. And I said, because I now found it funny and I like her rapport, I looked at her and said, don't ever steal my spotlight again. Hitting myself is my thing. <laughs> and then we did a quick bit about whose story of self-harm had more impact on the room. And we determined that mine did. But at the end of that, I asked her a question that I was curious about, which is, why did you admit it? You didn't have to. And she said, as I watched you tell it, and I saw you struggling. I wanted to make sure that you knew that you weren't alone. And that made me tear up, as it does now. Because I said to her, and I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say feeling alone sucks. And she agreed. And it was such a kind gesture that I would never forget. Because that moment with Teresa in that hallway changed the way I look at things. Because it showed me that I am able to grow and adapt. Because something that I would never speak of years ago, because it was my shame. Now, I'm doing bits about it in a hallway. And that's progress. <laughs> that day, for the first time and for every time following, I'm glad I admitted it. Because after 283 hours of group therapy... I can finally control it. And that proved to me that I'm not a complete mess, that I am a fixable mess, who is right now, and I say with confidence, healthy enough. Thank you very much.
This is Risk. This is Frida Torre behind me now. And we just heard from Kevin McGeehan. Quite a beauty of a story there. I really appreciate Kevin's courage. It's what we're all about here at Risk. And it was an enlightening perspective of at least one way that self-harm might show up in someone's life. So you can find Kevin at McGeehanKevin on Instagram. And before that, we heard a little bit of Diana Ross singing When We Grow Up. (laughs) At this point, we might just end up featuring all the tracks from Free To Be You And Me on on Risk. That album (laughs) might end up in the 10 Timers Club right now alongside Ryan Estrada one day. Oh, and that comic book that Ryan was talking about, the one his father-in-law is featured in, it's called Banned Book Club, and it was recently banned in Florida. If that's not a ringing endorsement, I don't know what is. And folks, one of our TikToks got 2.3 million views as of when I'm recording this. It's the one where Cambry Cruz is talking about sneaking gum into prison for her father. If you're not on TikTok at Risk Show or on Instagram at Risk Show, you're missing out. So get on over there. We'll be right back. We're back. Folks, don't forget that I personally do one-on-one story coaching for all kinds of people in all kinds of circumstances at KevinAllison.com. People who are working on podcasts or memoirs, solo shows, people preparing for interviews, job interviews or magazine interviews, wedding toasts, eulogies, people preparing artist statements or tour guide anecdotes, people working on sermons or closing arguments for trial lawyers. I once even worked with two doctors, two cancer specialists who were friends and who were aware that they were not really good at delivering bad news to their patients. It was really beautiful, the three of us getting together and sharing coaching around all that. So oftentimes, if it's not about preparing a particular story, I do a lot of what is essentially life coaching too, being someone who does a lot of work on myself as well as studying Buddhism and studying therapy. And people know that I'm a compassionate and supportive listener that they can be very honest with. So, if you're interested, look all of that up at kevinallison.com. And that's about it, folks. This Thursday... We're going to have a really wonderful, just a remarkable episode called Asian American Lives 5. That's in honor of Asian American Heritage Month. And we have a very special guest host. The wonderful Kristen Meinzer is going to be guest hosting. So do not miss that one. In the meantime, folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
Don't dress your cat in an apron just because he's learning to bake. Don't put your horse in a nightgown just because he can't stay awake. Don't dress your snake in a moo-moo just because he's off on a cruise. Don't dress your whale in galoshes if she really prefers overshoes. A person should wear what he wants to and not just what other folks say. A person should do what she likes to. A person's a person that way.